following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right, good evening again. Welcome to the Bible study portion of our service tonight, starting just before 7.30. Pretty good timing. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, if you would, please. Matthew and chapter 7. In this, the third chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord is going to open with a very well-known but very misunderstood teaching. Before we get there, though, I want to just mention that the Lord has been exploring for us the inner facets of true religion in His Sermon on the Mount. You know my position on the Sermon on the Mount. It's not relegated to another age. It is relevant for us today. Uh, It will have, I think, special application uh, during the kingdom, but uh, that's really not our, our concern. Uh, this teaches us what it looks like when a man or a woman repents of their sin, because that's the message of the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Uh, Mark opens up his letter, uh, his, uh, his epistle, his, uh, his gospel really that way. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, Jesus and John the Baptist preached, and now Jesus is showing us what that looks like. If we're paying attention to what we read, we're going to find out just how incisive our Lord's analysis is of the human condition. Um, We ended last time with chapter 6 about the causes and antidotes to worry. A major source of worry is material things. The Lord talked about food and clothing and uh, what we would drink, what we will wear, Perhaps we could include in that another basic need, shelter, which he doesn't mention, but uh, those basic needs, we worry about those things. Solutions for these kinds of worries include trusting in the Lord, understanding his sovereignty, and stated at the end of chapter 6, seeking first his kingdom and righteousness. When you do that, then worry will melt away. These things should be our concern rather than the things of earth. That is, God's sovereignty, His righteousness, His kingdom, and all of that. Uh, Related to this, i just throw this in here because it's been a thought on my mind. It might not fit perfectly here, but uh, shifting the definition of worry somewhat, uh, we use the word worry in kind of a sloppy way. Sometimes we worry about things and we're really worried. Other Other times we kind of worry about things, but we're concerned about them. And there's a difference, I think. Um, but you know, do you worry more about COVID or do you worry more about obeying God? Do you fear more COVID than you fear disobeying God? More broadly speaking, do you fear man more than you fear God? You know, what, what are you worried about? How people think or how God thinks? You know, are you worried about uh, the world conditions, uh, the disease that's got us all up in arms this last year and a half, or are you more concerned about your relationship to God? Well, it's, that's a little bit about worry. The Lord is in, kind of insightfully bringing us to understand what this is all about. He talks about the wrong priority on earthly riches, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, remember, Uh, He talks about the right way to think about and do charity. Remember, don't do it to be seen by people. You will be seen by some, obviously, if your charity is 
real charity, it will be done towards somebody. They will know. Perhaps others will observe. Uh, the right way to think and do uh, prayer, the right way to think about and do fasting, all those things are things which um, are, are, he's looking into kind of the heart of our, of our religion. Then he looks at the true heart of the Old Testament law, the internal dimensions of it. You know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't divorce, talks about oaths. Etc. The point was not mere external conformity to the law, uh, but an internal uh, sense, a heightened sense that uh, people would have to their own sin as it is manifested internally. It does not have to be a breaking of the law externally for the law to be broken. He talks about the metaphors of salt and light in chapter 5, uh, how that... Uh, you know, marks a believer's place in the world. He preaches about the blessings that God bestows on believers. Blessed are the, remember, the poor in spirit, the meek. They will inherit the earth. All those things that God will bless his people, his followers with. They who exhibit sorrow over sin, humility, mercy, etc., cetera, uh, will have those blessings. So this is really the heart of, of personal religion with God, with Christ. And now we move on to chapter 7, where there is an oft-repeated but not well-understood portion of the sermon, the famous judge not passage. It's often misused, misused as a club against a believer who sees and declares that someone's behavior is sinful, and the response is, judge not, lest you be judged. You know, don't judge me. That's illegal to judge, don't you know, Christian? But the Christian could simply be stating the fact that God has declared, you know, behavior X, whatever X is, to be a sin. And the believer in making such a charge or a judgment may not be mean or cruel or gloating about it whatsoever. He's just simply saying a fact. For example, what could we say? Uh, you know, gender transition, homosexuality. Uh, these things are simply wrong things. Those are judgments that we're making, but we're not actually making them, are we? We're simply restating them. Uh, you know, the Christian can be doing his job as a Christian to declare the truth like John the Baptist did in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7. Listen to that verse again, Matthew 3 verse 7. He says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers! Well, John, judge not, lest he be judged. But the thing is, what John was saying was uh, from the mouth of God, and it was true. It was true. Obviously, John could not be charged with sin by calling the Pharisees a bunch of snakes because they were, in fact, a bunch of snakes. If you're a sinner and somebody calls you a sinner, you can't you know, cry foul and say, don't judge me. No, the word of God will judge you uh, you know, the word that God gave through Christ will be your judge. You don't need to claim somebody else is, you know, causing judgment on you or something. But let's think about this for a moment. The Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Okay? So, do not judge, question mark. 
What is that? What is this all about? I put a question mark in the title of that subsection here of my notes because this simply cannot be a prohibition against all forms of judgment. Okay? There are other Bible instructions that would, if it were a prohibition for all forms of judgment, would contradict what Jesus is saying. So let me give you some examples from the New Testament especially. Now, I uh, looked up the same the root form of this word judge, and it occurs in the Greek text of the Old Testament, that translation of the Old Testament, and the New Testament 350 times. Now, it has a broad range of meaning. I mean, well, maybe not super broad, but it has several different kind of main points to it or main uses of it. I did not look at all 350, okay? I looked at all 100 approximately in the New Testament, okay? So it's still a little bit of a task to look at those. Here's a few things for you. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus says, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every tree bears good fruit. Uh, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Now, this doesn't have to actually use the verb to judge, but that's the idea that is used here. We are to recognize and stay away from false teachers. We are judge, or we judge in the sense of determining what is good and what is bad. Now, certain ones among us will have the particular responsibility to make such judgments and even use names in doing so. For example, me, because I'm in the pulpit here, and I'm, my job in part is to warn you, you know, when the latest book comes out from so-and-so famous authoress or so-and-so famous author or some video or some you know, new idea online, and I might have to say to you folks, look, I'm warning you about that. That's a false doctrine. Uh, well, pastor, you're not supposed to judge. In fact, the Lord teaches us that right here. Um, so we some, have, some of us have the responsibility to call out false teachers. Most of us will have to simply beware and not follow the teachings that come down the pike. There's judgment with perhaps little, very little interaction between us and the false teacher. So if somebody's teaching out there today, they don't know that you've rejected their teaching, but you have. You have passed a judgment against the false teaching that they are doing. And so you don't have to make a big deal about it. You don't have to parade it around or tout it or whatever. You just follow the scriptures. Number two example, uh, I'll take you to Matthew 19, verse 28. We're demonstrating that not all judgment is forbidden in the scriptures. That is going to lead us to then understand what kind of judgment is forbidden, if not all are, which not all are. Matthew 19, verse 28, so Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, that really means in the kingdom, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You see that? That will be a future judgment that they will do. Luke chapter 7 and verse 43. You can't visit all these in great length or detail, but we shall see them here. Luke 7 and 43. Uh, 
Simon answered, okay, so here's a, the sinful uh, person, the sinful woman is forgiven, and the, the Pharisee says, you know, who is this person touching Jesus? And Jesus gives the, uh, the illustration about somebody who is forgiven a lot and somebody who is forgiven a little and the relative love that they have. And uh, Jesus asks in 42, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, verse 43, and said, I suppose the one to whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Okay, now that sense of judged is you've rightly kind of figured it out. You've rightly discerned, and that's the, the notion of judgment, that you've discerned something is right. Uh, Luke 12 and verse 57, the Lord actually rebukes someone for not judging rightly. Luke 12 and verse 57, the Bible says, Yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? The Lord rebuking the Pharisees for that. John chapter 7, verse 24, we're commanded to judge with righteous judgment, not according to mere externals or mere appearances. Judging by what we see is often insufficient. I think you probably understand that, don't you? you what you see at first might look like one thing, but then when you find out more, oh, whoops, there's more depth to this than I could see. There's more depth to this person or the situation or uh, uh, action that I could initially see. And so you know, judging by what we see is often not sufficient. In fact, the Lord says in, in Isaiah, doesn't it, that um, he will not judge with the sight of his eyes or the hearing of his ears, but he will judge with a righteous judgment, a true and a judgment that knows the internals. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse number 19. It is very appropriate for us to do what the apostles did. They said, uh, you judge this. Is it right to obey God or men? You make the judgment. You make the call. Acts chapter 16, verse 15. Now here we're almost coming to a a very similar idea to of judgment that people run into today when they don't want to be judged. You know, like, uh, don't judge my faith, somebody might say. Okay, well, what about the fruit of your faith? What about what your faith produces? That does prove or tell on what your faith really is. But Acts chapter 16 and verse number 15, it says this, And when she, Lydia, and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. See, she wanted to be judged that way. She wanted to be judged to be faithful. Uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 16, Paul had decided or judged. Another word for decided is judged to sail past Ephesus. Just a little narrative portion there. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You remember the, the case there? There's a bunch of immorality going on with a man in the church there in 1 Corinthians 5. And the Apostle Paul says this, For indeed, I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. So here's the great Apostle Paul as we call him. Uh, he would say he's the humble or lowly or least of all the uh, saints, uh, Apostle Paul. But he says, I have already judged this one. The case is clear. 
the sin needs to be eliminated. It needs to be removed from your midst. And I have made that. I have passed that judgment. Let's go down to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12. Now, he says, okay, you're going to put this person outside of the church, and then you're going to let God deal with him, right? That's what church discipline does. It puts somebody on the outside, removes them, puts them into the realm of Satan, into the realm of the world for the destruction of the flesh, that their spirit might be saved in the day of Christ. Now, Paul then closing this up says in verse 12, For what have I to do with judging those who are on the outside? Do you not judge those who are inside, that is outside the church or inside the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So there's actually two levels of judgment here, two levels of of decision. One is the church puts somebody out, and then that person is judged by God because of their unrepentant sin, with the goal, as the church knows, of trying to restore that one to, to grace, as it were, to, to fitness for service and worship of God. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 now, verse number 2. We have a little concentration of these passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2. Uh, the context here is uh, they're going to law against one another, taking them to court, Not a good idea. Do you not know, verse 2 says, that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you not unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Verse number 3, following on, do you not know that we shall judge angels? Judge not, lest you be judged. No, that's that's a misappropriation of the verse, chapter 7 of Matthew, verse number 1. We shall judge the world, we will judge angels. How small of a thing it is for us to deal with a few, you know, piddly matters in the church. Easy stuff. Little things compared to all of this. 1 Corinthians 10.29, don't have to turn there, please. It just talks about, you know, my, my actions being judged by the conscience of another person. We, we kind of worked through that in our 1 Corinthians series and saw that Yes, your, your conduct is limited by the people around you and their consciences. They have a conscience that, you, that is, it's, you know, it's not right to eat certain foods. It wouldn't be nice for you to bring your sack lunch full of those kinds of foods and plop down in front of them and start munching away, okay? It just doesn't, it's not nice, okay? It, it does damage uh, their feeling, their conscience, uh, especially when we're talking about religious matters here, okay? It's not silly things like they don't like the taste of something. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 13. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Okay, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? You look, You see to it. Look to it. Now, we explained that. In that context, it was appropriate for a woman to pray with her head covered because that was a sign of authority and submission. In our context, a head covering does not have that same meaning or implication, so it's unnecessary for that in this case. So we've judged among ourselves. We've made a discernment that that is uh, right for us in this uh, context and how the culture works in this case. And uh, we, we have to go back and listen to all that in First Corinthians in the series that I did to, to grab a hold of that and get more detail on it. But the point here is 
Paul's commanding the church, judge among yourselves. Not judge not, but judge, in fact. And then uh, kind of the crown jewel, if you will, of judgment passages is in 1 Corinthians um, 11, 32. No, it's not 32. Let's see here. I know I have a typo in my notes. Uh, yes. Oh, 32. I was looking at 33. Yeah. Back up to verse 31. That's really what I'm looking for. So the Lord's table, people were misabusing or abusing it, misusing it. And the, the Lord said, or uh, yeah, well, the Lord through Paul says, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, that's judged by God, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Okay, so the Bible tells us here that we are to judge ourselves. You know, it doesn't say judge not yourselves. It says judge yourselves. And this is part of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7 in the following verses. Remember, he says, you know, judge not lest you be judged with the judgment you, you use. You will be judged with the measure you mete out. It will be measured back to you. And then he says, why do you look at the what moat in the eye of your brother when you have a log sticking out of yours? In other words, he's saying, why aren't you judging yourselves? Before It doesn't say you can't help your brother with the moat in his eye. He says you've got to take care of your own self first, then help your brother with the, with the log or with the moat, the little speck in his own eye, as the King James says. What is a moat? Well, we'll see. But um, A heavier judgment on ourselves is helpful in more ways than one. Not only does it help us to keep our feet on the straight and narrow path, that is, if you're, if you're harder on yourself than you are on everybody else, that's going to help you in one way, and that is to keep your feet on the straight and narrow. In other words, you, you know, I thought that bad thought, I said that bad word, I've had that bad feeling, um, uh, you know, I had that bad uh, lust or whatever. I'm, I'm judging myself. and then No, I cannot do that. It is wrong. Okay, so it helps keep us on the straight and narrow path. Not only does it do that, but it also prevents us from looking down on others who may or may not have their own problems. Does that make sense? You, you focus on your own problems, and it helps you to stay well, but it also prevents you from spending all your time criticizing other people and focusing on their issues. Judge yourselves so that you would not be judged. So all those examples are meant simply to bolster your understanding that when Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, he's not condemning all forms of judgment. The Bible just gave you 15 different sections of Scripture that tell you that there are certain kinds of judgment that you must make, you must not make, uh, that Paul made in, in those different areas. Okay? Now, true divine justice, I'm moving on to another thought here, true divine justice cannot be skirted by you exercising a weak kind of judgment towards others. 
you might think, well, if I'm lenient in my judgment of others, if I just kind of you know, let everything slide, I'm cool about it, you know, even allowing other sinners to go on in their sin when you have a role to play and stopping them from that, if you think that, you know, if I'm lenient, then God will be lenient to me. I mean, look at what it says. He says, with the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. So if I judge leniently, God will judge me leniently. So then I too can be involved in some things that I might not otherwise should. You know, if God's going to judge me in the same manner that I judge others, if I let everybody else slide, will God let me slide? No, there's, that's an invalid application of this verse as well. A Christian can offer a judgment about what another person is doing wrong. Now, here's my third thought on this. Okay, I'm transitioning quickly. A Christian can offer judgment about what another person is doing wrong, even if that Christian has done that same wrong thing themselves. Okay? Because Christians have already accepted that we will be judged according to God's righteousness, and we will be judged with the judgment that we ourselves use, and yes, we know that it will be measured back to us as we measure out. Okay? Example, person A. If you get a divorce, that's wrong. Person B. But you got a divorce. Why can't I? Aren't you judging me? And the Bible says not to judge others. Person A responds, yes, I am making a judgment, calling sin what it is. Calling sin as sin. And yes, I sinned by doing what I did. But I know that my sin is judged by God. And, here's the key, it is laid upon Christ. Laid upon Christ. I know that I was wrong. But I'm trying to help you to avoid doing the same wrong thing that I did. Hey, learn from my experience. I've been down that road. This is entirely different than hypocritically judging somebody else. You know, you know, or like it says in Romans, you know, who are you, O man, who judges somebody for doing X and you do X? That's hypocritical judgment. Hatefully judging another person. I think of biblical example. Uh, the Pharisees and the man born blind, John chapter 9. You were all together born in sin, and you teach us, get out. He was closer to the kingdom of God than they were by a long shot. Or the man who, the Pharisee, who went up to the temple to pray, and he prayed thus with himself, God, thank you that I'm not like other men, like this rascal over here. That's hypocritical judgment. That's, that's, that's the kind of judgment that Jesus is talking about. We have this, this is a certain kind of judgment being forbidden. Is the, sort that, the sort of judgment that is forbidden is the sort that gets you in hot water with God. Now, that's a bit of a circular definition, but the idea is that it's judgment hatefully directed at other people that is being forbidden. 
Don't judge so that you won't be judged. Because if you judge wrongly, God is going to judge you for your wrong judgment. (laughs) Right? That's a sin. Now, yeah, for being hyper in your judgment, so to speak. Uh, So when it says judge not, that you be not judged, I think that's referring to God's judgment, not man's judgment, although we could judge somebody for being a hypocritical judge of others, ourselves, but I think this is God judging. So the judgment prohibited is not all kinds of judgment, but it is especially that which is hateful, directed at other people in that hateful manner. And, and even, even the proponents of the judge not lest he be judged theology, I'll call it, you know, the users of this verse, the misusers of the verse, rather, they understand that that's what it is, hatefully uh, condemning other people. But, of course, what they think is hate is not hate in, in the true Christian who is calling them out for their sin. These people that want to, this, to say, judge not lest he be judged, are actually calling for no judgment against other people, especially people living in sinful lifestyles. They call any, any criticism of their sinful lifestyle, they call it hate, right? That's today. You hate. You're a, a phobe, you know, a fill-in-the-blank phobe, a homophobe or whatever it is. That's hate, they say. No, it's not hate according to the Bible to declare what God declares about sin. But the idea of this judgment has to do with how you're regarding other people when you're laying this judgment upon them. Uh, so think about a couple different ways that this could, could play out. Merciless judgment is forbidden. Judging according to the flesh is forbidden. Passing judgment against other people but behaving in the ways that you judge is forbidden. Judgment in matters that do not matter is forbidden, right? Why do you judge your brother with regard to a a holy day or a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath? You're not allowed to do that. Romans 14.4 says, and I think what I'll do is I'll just mention these and then I'll go over them in a little bit more detail the next time because of the, the clock here. But Romans 14, for example, says, why do you judge your brother, he's the servant of somebody else. You know to whom judgment belongs? His boss, not you. Judgment associated with contempt is forbidden. Judgment has to await await the right time. Paul says, don't judge anything before the time because what happens at the time is there'll be the manifestation of all the facts. Before that, it's premature. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, taking matters of judgment before unbelievers is forbidden. Judging things that are insignificant or things that have now passed off the scene like food laws and things like that. Complaining against one another is a form of judgment. And human judgment, 1 Peter 2.23 reminds us, can be unrighteous judgment. And so we'll look at those different kinds of forbidden judgment next time as the Lord gives us opportunity. But for tonight, we remember this, that not all forms of judgment are prohibited, 
But there is a kind which is prohibited, and we trust the Lord will help us to discern what that is and uh, how to not be involved in that kind of judgment as, as that comes up. That's going to be an ever, a never-ending kind of thing. Because you have all these situations that come your way, and you're always going to have the tendency to maybe jump to conclusions or make a judgment or make a criticism or something like that, and you have to remind yourself, hey, pull back. You know, I have my own problems. Let's focus on that, not so much on what everybody else is doing, and hopefully we'll follow the Lord's teaching here on this judgment aspect of things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... I gratefully acknowledge, Lord, that uh, you teach us just what we need to know. You know our tendencies, as the psalmist writes, you know our frame, that we're but dust. In fact, worse than that, we're sinful dust. And so we have these tendencies to do things like gossip or like here, judgment, criticism, uh, blowing ourselves up and putting down other people. And I pray you'd help us with that, Lord. Oh, it's easy for us to see it in everybody else. But help us to see it in ourselves. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God knows. Well, that was, I don't know, I felt like it was a little bit uh, disjointed, but hopefully uh, provided some help in any case uh, to you. I enjoyed studying it. Uh, it gave me some food for thought, that's for sure. So. Well, I trust that the uh, Lord will bless you if you're still online watching. Thank you for being here tonight, and uh, trust that you'll get a good night's rest. And uh, yeah, stay well. We'll see you again soon, okay? God bless you. Good night.